This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. I'm the Director of Programming for the Gender and Women's Studies program, which is co-sponsoring this talk on um, women and art, modern, modern women, <laughs> right? The Contemporary Art Museum and Women. Um, and I just wanted to put in a plug for a couple of gender and women's studies. Well, one big gender and women's studies event that's coming up on Thursday, March 29th. It's the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Conference. And it's a student-centered conference. Maybe people you know submitted their work and are going to be presenting their work at the conference. It's a lot of fun. It's a great opportunity to talk about the work you've been doing, to hear students talk about their work, to take it outside of the privacy of your dorm room where you wrote the paper and the teacher's desk you know where they read the paper to have it sort of out in the open and having an active conversation about it <coughs> that day we we're also having a keynote address at 4 30 in the cinema um, cynthia enlow um, will be here and she'll be talking about um, gender issues in a global context um, specifically about iraqi women's response to the war in iraq and She's an incredibly um, energetic, charismatic speaker. Um, I really highly recommend that event. If you're looking for things to do, I know there's never too much, you know, never too much to do here at Villanova. So um, put that on your calendar. I also wanted to let you know that we have information about the gender and women's studies minor and major up at the front, um, as well as the courses being offered next semester that are on gender and women's studies cross-listed with other classes. Um, so, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Here, we're, we're here to um, listen to Alexander Schwartz. And I'm gonna turn the floor over to Tim McCall from the Department of History and Art History. Um, he'll introduce us to our speaker. Thank, thank you, Lisa, and thanks for co-sponsoring this talk. Um, so I wanna warmly welcome Alexander Schwartz, who's been a friend of mine since, since grad school. She received her, um, her BA at Harvard and her, her PhD at University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. She's now presently the first uh, curator of contemporary art at the Montclair Art Museum. Um, she's organizing a number of, of, of shows on emerging artists um, in a series called New Directions, which started with Marina Zerkow, Friends, Enemies, and Others, in Fall of 11, um, and is continuing in this, in next, this upcoming fall Saya Wolfalk, The Empathetics. She's working on a large traveling show, the first show of art of the 90s, called Come As You Are. Um, and I always get the Nirvana song in my head whenever I, whenever I hear her talking about it, um, I guess purposefully. From 2004 till 2010, she was a curator at the Museum of Modern Art, where she headed up, or was one of the major people involved with the, the women's, Modern Women's Project which was a curatorial initiative, a large project that involved symposia, publications, um, some exhibitions as well, that was an initiative to increase scholarship on women artists and understanding women artists' place within in the museum in general and within MoMA as well. Um, she was an editor of, of a large book, very large book, that came out of this, which she'll, this project, which we'll talk about today. Um, and she curated an exhibition in conjunction with this project called Mind and Matter, Alternative Abstractions, 1940 to now. And she'll talk about that as well today. Um, she's also published quite a bit on Ed Ruscha, um, uh, um, 
California kind of pop conceptual artist who's still living today. And this is her, her book, which is very nice how, sm how small it is. And um, very much along the lines of the, the types of books that, that Ruscha himself produced. Um, she's contributed to many journals, anthologies, exhibitions. Um, and today she'll talk about her, her, her experience at MoMA. So welcome, Alexandra Schwartz. Thank you so much, Tim and Lisa, and the program in Gender and Women's Studies, and the History Department, and the Art History Program. I'm really thrilled to be here. And thank you all so much for being here, especially on this really gorgeous summer day in March. Um, so what I want to do is to talk pretty informally about the project that Tim mentioned that I was the coordinator of at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Um, and maybe what I'll do is to pass this great big book around <laughs> so that you can kind of take a look at the end product. So to give you a little bit of background on the project, um, the Museum of Modern Art obviously has a huge collection and it's probably the foremost collection of modern and contemporary art in the world, <laughs> so that means mid-19th century to the present. And over the course of its history, it's had a little bit of a spotty record where showing women artists is concerned. Um, although MoMA has been collecting work by women artists since the very beginning, the majority of shows, both group shows and solo exhibitions, um, the bulk of what you see when you go to the galleries and walk around MoMA tends not to be by women artists. Work by women artists makes up about between 10 and 15% of the collection. Um, that's as of a couple of years ago. But that really wasn't what you see on the walls. And of course, 10 and 15% is a small percentage anyway. There are a whole lot of different reasons for that to do with the fact that there used to just be fewer women artists going to art school and having careers. That's changed a lot in the last couple decades. But it's kind of a problematic history, both for MoMA and for art museums all over the world. So MoMA periodically was criticized rather harshly for this, especially by certain critics in the New York art world. Um, and it was something that there was a lot of discussion about internally in the museum and kind of externally in classes like the ones that some of you are taking, you know, why museums weren't doing better with this. So this project called the, Women's, the Modern Women's Project came about in around 2005. And there had been a lot of discussion about what to do about this problem at the museum. And the way it started is kind of interesting. A lot of people are surprised by it. Um, it was a very lucky thing for us that a donor, um, a philanthropist and herself an artist, came to the museum, met with the director, and said, I want to do something for women at MoMA. And she was completely open about what that could be. So there were a lot of different ideas. There were ideas for a daycare center which it turned out was too expensive um, with the insurance to actually do. There were ideas to have you know, more assistance for female curators, that kind of thing. But in the end, as MoMA is a scholarly institution, in many ways it runs in a similar way to a university, someplace like Villanova, it was decided that what should come out of this project was a big book on the collection. Um, and you'll be able to see it as it goes around. Because that would be a long-term commitment to it. It would be a book that would be around, hopefully, for decades to come. And it would be a really intensive study of what MoMA already had, but bringing to the fore some of the artists who weren't seen very much, some of the works that weren't seen very much. So a committee was formed, as tends to happen um, in museums and universities too, 
to start talking about this, and I became the coordinator of that committee. So it was a committee of all the different curatorial departments, so painting and sculpture, prints and illustrated books, drawings, etc. One curator from each department to talk about what to do. So the first thing that was really interesting about this is that until this time, feminist art history, which many of you have been studying, didn't really happen much at MoMA. There were some people, mostly younger people, who knew about it. But a lot of the older curators especially really had no background in it. So the first thing we did in the winter of 2007 was to hold a symposium called The Feminist Future, Theory and Practice in the Visual Arts in which we invited a lot of the foremost thinkers on art history and feminism to come to the museum and be part of this two-day symposium and help you know, talk to us and help us think about the collection and how to look at it in terms of feminism and women artists. So this symposium ended up being just a huge, um, hugely popular event in a way that shocked everyone. It sold out within the first couple of hours that tickets were available. It was in our biggest hall. And we had people basically calling me and trying to get in for the next couple of months. There was a real hunger on the part of especially artists who were around during the 60s and 70s when the women's movement was really taking off to see MoMA as the voice of authority um, in modern and contemporary art history dealing with feminism. So people were really vehement about trying to get to this conference. There were suggestions that we have it at Carnegie Hall to accommodate more people, which wasn't really possible. But it ended up being really interesting and productive for us. And this was one of the most um, interesting panels in which Coco Fusco, who is a contemporary artist who deals with performance, she's dressed here as kind of a militant, um, as a soldier of some kind. It, it's not totally clear what kind of soldier she was supposed to be but basically a soldier on behalf of you know, art and feminism. And in the background there are the Gorilla Girls. Has anyone encountered the Gorilla Girls in your classes at all? So the Gorilla Girls were founded in the 80s, and they're a group of women artists who dress up in gorilla suits and go to different events to push for having more women represented in museums. And they're anonymous, no one knows who they are. And if you do by some chance figure out who they are, they swear you to secrecy and not to tell anyone. Um, so two of them came to the conference and spoke, Coco Fusco, and the rest were mostly art historians, curators, and artists. So there were about 20 speakers, a third in each of those categories. <laughs> so it was a really great way to announce that MoMA was doing this, and it was really remarkable to us how much excitement it generated. Um, I think it shows that even five years ago, there was a real dearth of thinking about this in art museums. And something that was really extraordinary about this time is that it was the same time that a lot of other museums were dealing with feminism and gender. So there was a new Sackler Center for Feminist Art at the Brooklyn Museum opening that year. Um, the Centre Pompidou in Paris was also beginning a project on women artists. So it was this kind of explosion all at once of artists, um, art historians, museum curators, and artists thinking about these issues. And there's some debate about why that was. Um, some people think it's because the generation of art historians who were trained in feminist art theory were now in positions of power in the museum, so that there was this generational shift that was making this happen. Sometimes it was because funders, like our funder and Elizabeth Sackler at the Brooklyn Museum, also women who had come of age with feminism in the women's movement, had the money to put behind this kind of project. So it was something that there was a lot of discussion about. Um, 
and something that was really interesting at the time. So following that, we did a whole series of lectures called the Feminist Future Lecture Series on different topics following up on the big success of the Feminist Future Conference. This was on um, film, and you see Chantal Ackerman, Trin Minha, and Laura Mulvey, um, who also you may have read in some of your classes, doing a discussion together. This was actually um, kind of an interesting discussion. It, it almost had too much star power in this particular field, um, so that the conversation was, was interesting, but in retrospect, we thought we kind of should have broken them up a little bit. We then did a series particular to the Bauhaus exhibition that was happening in 2009, um, focusing on women in the Bauhaus. Again, the Bauhaus back in 1920s Germany had a lot of women involved in it, but there hadn't been so much intention um, to the women artists involved in the Bauhaus, uh, that particular art school. And then at the same time, we were focusing on this main project of the Modern Women book which as you can see is about a 500 page, seven pound, enormous book um, that took about five years to produce. So the way the book happened was also interesting and complicated. Something that we always talked about that people don't really think about is we had all this work in the collection by women artists, but a lot of it had never been photographed. So big museums like MoMA have a big database that curators go through when they try to figure out what to put in a show or what to put in a book. But if there's no picture of the work, you just keep scrolling through it. So the first thing we did was we had a really wonderful intern um, do a lot of just low resolution photography of different works in the collection so that we had that as a reference. That we then taught a couple of classes with Columbia University, um, their graduate students, to help us research some of the artists who we didn't have as much information on in our files. And I think it's kind of interesting from all of your perspectives, those of you who are doing art history and might want to do internships, you know, the work of students like you is so important in this kind of research project. And then the book is composed of about 40 essays, half of which are longer and thematic, and half of which are shorter and on particular artists. It runs from the 19th century to the present, all sorts of different media, so we had several um, essays on film, on design, as well as on more traditional forms of art like painting and sculpture, prints, books, uh, drawings, etc. So half of the art of the authors were MoMA staff, and then the other half, um, or maybe 40%, were outside scholars. So people who taught at universities, other curators from other institutions. So we really wanted it to both be a project that the museum was very invested in and also one that we kind of brought experts in the field into to work on as well. So the internal um, sort of process by which this book happened was really interesting as well because as I mentioned briefly, initially there was quite a lot of resistance to it among some members of the staff who thought that in the 2000s, we shouldn't have to think about gender anymore. You know, we just should be equal. Um, you know, the battles are won. Why should we think about art within this particular prism? But the fact was that women just weren't equally represented on the walls or in the books or in the exhibitions. So eventually everyone kind of came around and realized like, yes, this is something we need to do. Although the goal, of course, is that eventually a project like this won't be needed, that things will just be equal and you won't have to make this concerted effort to show just women artists together. 
The other argument you get a lot with any of this kind of project is that it's ghettoizing. You know, it puts women in separate category that's not quite equal. But I think the same argument applies that, you know, we wouldn't have to pay particular attention to women artists if they were really getting equal representation. So I'll let you all look at the book. Um, the book has had an interesting life. It's kind of had a slow, slow-ish but steady rate of sales. You know, it's not like an exhibition that opens and everyone comes to see and everyone buys the book. But our hope is that it really will be used for years to come. And it has done quite well in the long run. It came out in the spring of 2010, so about two years ago. Um, and I'm really pleased to know that it's being used as a textbook in courses like your courses. I know that Tim assigned one of the essays from the book. Um, and this is uh, just a couple of images from the essay that I wrote for the book that was on sculpture from the 1970s by Alice Aycock, Jackie Windsor, and Mary Miss. So something that was really challenging for me about writing this essay is that, as you can see, this is all abstract work. There's no recognizable subject matter. Um, so there's nothing that kind of gives away that this work was done by women. But what was interesting to me about it was that, in fact, the artists who were making this work were all very involved with the women's movement, and they were kind of involved politically, and they were activists. But it didn't directly go into their work. So I kind of wanted to figure out how does that dynamic function when the work is abstract, but the artists are really thinking about these issues. And it affected how they were received. Something that I thought was really fascinating about these particular artists' history is that they were all bought by MoMA when a lot of artists, feminist artists, who were dealing directly with gender, sexuality in their work was not being bought by MoMA. So it was kind of this weird little thing that was happening that if the work was too political, MoMA didn't want to buy it. But if the artists were political but the work wasn't political, MoMA bought it. And that kind of testifies to the conservative nature of MoMA for a very long time. <coughs> so when the book came out, we had another symposium um, to celebrate it and to bring in um, other artists, curators, scholars. And this was a panel that was all the people who were kind of the most involved in the Modern Women's Project at MoMA. And a colleague of ours from the Pompidou, who was one of the speakers, said we looked like the Last Supper, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but it was nice. It was nice to kind of have us all at this table and be able to talk about this project. So even though the main product of the project was a book, we also did a series of exhibitions because we didn't want it to only be a book that the audience couldn't you know, come and experience and participate in. So each of MoMA's curatorial departments, there are seven of them, put on an exhibition based on work from MoMA's collection um, in 2010-2011. So just to give you an idea of what the exhibitions were like, this was a show put on by a curator in the Media and Performance Art Department of Joan Jonas, who's a very important um, video and performance artist. That was the first one to open. This was a show done by a painting and sculpture curator of Lee Bontecu, um, who's a wonderful artist who started working in the late 1950s and is still working today. Um, it was called All Freedom in Every Sense, and it was sculpture and drawing. Something that was really interesting is that the photography department completely reinstalled their permanent collection exhibitions with only women artists. So if you came to MoMA and went to the photography galleries, you saw a history of women photographers, um, or as they talked about it, a history of photography through the work of women artists. 
And photography is a really interesting case because a lot of the first photographers were women. Um, it was a lot of amateur women, generally well-to-do women who kind of did it as a hobby. Um, but unlike other fields where artists had to go to art school and it was hard for women to do that back in the 19th and early 20th centuries, photographers were amateurs and they could just start doing it on their own. So in fact, the photography department has one of the richest um, collections of work by women artists. So this ended up being the largest scale of the exhibitions that celebrated the publication of Modern Women. And this is a photograph by Ilsa Bing. Um, and then I did a project with a colleague in the print department, I was in the drawings department, called Mind and Matter, Alternative Abstractions, 1940s to Now, which was a continuation of my being interested in looking at how abstract artists who were women were dealing with gender and sexuality in these kind of um, alternative ways. They weren't directly usually showing women's bodies or you know, dealing with gender in a recognizable way, but it was still there. Um, and something that we did as a little experiment was in our wall text, which you see here, you know, that little blurb that you read when you go to an exhibition, we didn't actually mention that all the artists in the show were women. We decided that we'd just let people figure it out because it was really the issues that we were interested in, not the fact so much that it was only women. And we debated a lot about whether to put male artists in the show, and we ended up not because it was celebrating the modern women's book. But it testifies to how complicated those issues are. You know, a lot of artists, both men and women, gay and straight, what have you, deal with gender and sexuality in their work, but it often gets talked about in terms of feminism. So there are these very complicated issues that we were trying to sort out, but didn't necessarily have the answers to. So this show was really international, which was another thing that we really tried to focus on. There were artists from Asia, um, Latin America, Europe, and the United States. The great sculpture you see in the middle, in the middle is by a Japanese artist named Yayoi Kusama. Um, and that was very popular. It's literally a rowboat that's covered with these crazy purple kind of potato phallus-like shapes. Um, these are by Gago, uh, a Venezuelan artist who was dealing with abstraction, but also the body in some ways. Uh, Mona Hatoum is that white rectangle. It's a rug, um, a kind of silicone rug that she made. Louise Nevelson, an American artist. Uh, Louise Bourgeois, a French artist who moved to America. This was a fabric book that Louise Bourgeois made, but it could come apart and be put on the wall. <coughs> More Louise Bourgeois. Um, this artist is named Alina Shapotsnikov, and I'll put in a little plug for her because she has a show that's right now in Los Angeles, but it's coming to New York, to MoMA. And she was virtually unknown in the United States until just about 10 years ago. And she was actually rediscovered in part because of the work of one of the curators on this project. Um, she was Polish, she was a Holocaust survivor, and then lived in Paris, but she unfortunately died very young of cancer um, in her late 40s, I believe. But it was really exciting to be able to show this work that hadn't been seen very much in the past as part of this exhibition. Another drawing by Louise Bourgeois. This is a close-up of one of the Shapotsnikov works. It's called Belly Cushions. And these are casts of an actual person's stomach. And when these were first made, they're kind of a foam rubber type of thing. They were actually used as cushions on people's couches. 
which now is something that's sort of terrifying to curators <laughs> because um, they could really be messed up and they're really beautiful, but we had them in the show for this. Um, this is a book by a Brazilian artist named Ana Maria Maialino, and it's a book that kind of becomes a sculpture. So you see those pieces of paper on string. When you open it up and show it, it takes on this kind of sculptural element. And there again is the great Kusama rowboat. Um, there were a number of film exhibitions that went along with this, I think about six in the end. And the first one was Maya Darren's Legacy, Women in Experimental Film um, in 2010. Maya Darren has an image on the cover of the book, so those of you who are seeing it. Um, she's another uh, filmmaker artist who was really rediscovered quite recently, but she worked in the 30s and 40s. And then this was a show um, on design and women architects and designers, um, and specifically focused on kitchen design. So of course, for a long time, kitchens were mostly associated with women and with domestic work. Um, but this really did a history of it and showed how a lot of design prototypes were worked out through kitchen design. And it was a very, very popular show. Um, here again, oops, I'm going backwards here, sorry. And then uh, later on, I did a small show of women video artists that was at MoMA PS1, which is kind of an outpost of MoMA in Long Island City, Queens. And another thing that a lot of people kind of hadn't been quite cognizant before this round of scholarship on women artists is that a lot of the pioneers of video art were women as well. So video art was developing in the 60s and 70s. And women were really on the forefront of that, figuring out how to use video technology, basically TV technology, to make art. So this was the work about, of about 15 artists um, who were working in video, all women. Um, so that kind of gives you an overview of the project. And as I said, I would you know, be really happy to answer any questions you might have about it. There were a lot of complicated issues with it, and I think those issues still haven't totally settled down about you know, what, is, what are the repercussions of a big museum doing a project that's focused on one particular group. You know, why don't you do a project focused on every kind of group you, know, you can think of? Why was it necessary to sort of single out women in this way? Um, so yeah, I'm happy to open it up to discussion, answer any questions you might have. Yeah, there really has. Um, that was something that we were hoping would happen as a result of this project, and I think it's changed really dramatically. Both in terms of wa walking around the permanent collection, you see a lot more women artists on the walls, but also um, there's now a specific fund called the Modern Women's Fund that was started by the same donor that goes exclusively toward buying work by women artists. And a nice effect of all the interest in women artists recently is that the prices have gone way up. Um, so you kind of need more money to buy the work. Um, but there's that particular fund. There have been a lot of solo exhibitions of women artists in the last few years. The Cindy Sherman show right now is a great example of that. And that was partially funded by this 
particular fund as well. But something else that happened at MoMA during this time is that there was a big generational shift and there are a lot more women in positions of power at the museum than there were when this project started. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, kind of thinking differently about gender and feminism, but I think it's also just societally things have changed. And so there are a lot more women calling the shots um, within the museum and within all museums and, you know, in general. So the effects, I think, are complicated as to how they came about, but the upshot is that, yes, there is a lot more. I'm sure you're familiar with the article, the MoMA's Hot Mamas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the article Mama's Hot Mamas, it's been a while since I read it, but it kind of talked about all the, you know, very sexualized images of women that are on display in Mama's galleries, but pointing out that in fact there wasn't a lot of work at, by women artists at the time. And I guess that article was early 80s, is that when that was? Yeah. Yeah. So are there um, museums that are um, this sort of I mean, I guess there aren't very many in the states that are on the same scale or whatever reputation as MoMA or as influential as MoMA, but are, <coughs> are there other major museums that have had a better record in terms of representing women artists? Like, like I'm just thinking of like the uh, MoCA in LA yeah. or San Francisco, or I, I just wonder yeah. if there are institutions that have had like the Chicago Art yeah. or something. Not really. Um, we did do some research on that, and most, I mean, this is, this research is about five years old now, but most of the museums we looked at it was around the same statistic, 10 to 15 percent of the collection. Um, but I, I would say that that has changed a lot, especially within the last 20 years, because there's so many more contemporary women artists. Um, you know, I think art schools are probably 70 percent women, a lot of them now, and um, and they're just, if you think about the successful contemporary artists right now, at least half of them are women. So that's really changed, especially with recent art. And we did a statistical analysis, too, of how it went decade by decade. And it was a steady increase, but the last couple decades, it's just been an exponential increase of numbers of work by women in the collection. I have another related question. I was I've never been to the museum in Washington, the Women's Museum. Yeah. But could you talk a little bit about that? And I mean, my sense, like, I feel like I've heard mixed things about yeah. the museum, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, there's a museum in Washington called the National Museum of Women in the Arts that opened, I think, in the 80s as well. Yeah. And um, it was another project that was founded by a particular donor, and it had a particular mission. So it has a collection that goes, I think, from Renaissance to the present, and they do a lot of interesting exhibitions. I mean, it's, hard, it's had a hard time, I think partly because it is a smaller museum, it is kind of the, the product of one particular person's vision, and it's not part of the Smithsonian, although it's in Washington. And I think that, um, you know, their approach, has always been so focused. It kind of hasn't had that breadth, so that I think that probably unfairly to some extent, it's been ghettoized more than it 
should. But they certainly do some very interesting things. Um, you know, it's a complicated thing because both for me and for Connie Butler, who was my senior colleague on this project, you know, it's obviously something that we think a lot about and feminist methodology has shaped our, our lives as curators, but I don't think either of us wants to only work on women artists for the rest of our careers, you know, because it, it's not that we're any less committed to it, but there are a lot of great male artists out there too. So um, I think that that's another thing that's kind of hurt the museum in Washington is that in order to work there, do shows there, you really only have to, to work with women artists. So it's complicated. Um, you know, I think the fact that MoMA and the Pompidou have done this kind of show really broke a lot of barriers and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next you know, decade or so with this. Yeah, the question is whether people have the opportunity to make comments. Um, the way we did it mostly was through a blog, and this was when MoMA was just beginning a blog, and that's kind of hard to believe because it was only two years ago, but um, we got a lot of comments through the blog, and um, most of them were very enthusiastic and very positive, very glad to see it. Um, you know, something that we thought about when we were doing the book is that MoMA, I think, 60% or more is you know non-New Yorkers, so it's a lot of tourists and it's a lot of um, international visitors too, and I think that there was a lot of enthusiasm on the part of you know women visitors just to see women artists represented more, more intensively um, in the galleries. But yeah, the the reaction was very positive, and we also were were really keeping an eye on what the critics were saying. Like there's one particular critic for New York New York Magazine, Jerry Saltz, who's kind of led the charge against MoMA for not having enough women artists on the walls and um, you know he was very happy about this project so um, it was nice to to see that. Did, did you see other patterns to the comments other than the sort of positive response? You know I left MoMA pretty soon after I kind of in the middle of these exhibitions so I wasn't tracking them as as carefully as I wish I had um, but I certainly from colleagues I mostly heard positive things, yeah. There's a question back there. Yeah. Um, more of a comment. I was actually recently at the MoMA, um, and I went to see some Germans exhibit, and it was packed. Yeah. yeah. So I think I really um, enjoy like, the work, but I think it had a really good response. Yeah. And I don't know how long it's over for, but her exhibit, and then I forgot the other one's name, but Sonia Vekovic? Yeah, Sweet Violence. Yeah. Yeah, this has been a great spring for women artists at MoMA um, with these two shows, Cindy Sherman and Sonia Vekovic, and they've both been very well received, and Cindy Sherman's been totally packed. Um, for those of you who don't know her, she started showing in the late 70s, and all her photographs, except for a few, are self-portraits. She dresses up as different kinds of characters that are recognizable. So she started by dressing up as kind of film um, characters, not from particular films, but recognizable as like a woman in a horror film or a woman in an Italian movie from the 1950s. And then she's gone on, she's made works that look like fashion photographs or look like kind of society portraits or that kind of thing. 
And the show has just been incredibly popular, totally packed. There's advertising all over New York. Philadelphia too, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it's been a huge blockbuster. And, um, you know, Cindy Sherman, I think almost everyone would agree, is, is one of the most important artists working today. So it's been great to see. I'm glad you saw the show. Uh huh. Um, does the initial or the donor you speak of uh, wish to remain unidentified? Um, no, her name is Sarah Peter. And, um, she likes to keep a low profile, so instead of calling her fund the Sarah Peter Fund, she called it the Modern Women's Fund, and that's partly a strategic thing that donors do. They sometimes don't want to put their name on it because they don't want other people to be discouraged from contributing to it. But she's an extraordinary person. Um, she really had a vision, and she put her, her money where her mouth is, and she really you know, made it possible for this to occur. She's an artist herself, too, a very interesting artist. Uh -huh. Can you talk about well, how is this related to the, uh, the renovation and the rehang? Was it at all, and, and you talk about maybe for students here, your experiences with that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was really lucky. I started at MoMA right when I finished um, my doctoral studies, finished my dissertation, and I was hired right before MoMA moved into its new building. So I don't know if any of you guys would remember it, but MoMA used to be much, much smaller, um, and it's now enormous. And so the first project I worked on was to reinstall, well, work with the senior curators who were in charge of reinstalling the permanent collection of painting and sculpture. Um, so at that point in 2004, there wasn't a lot of discussion of women artists. There was some, but not a ton. And MoMA got a lot of criticism for not representing women artists better in that first installation. So, um, so would it have been different, do you think, if it had happened five years? I or, do. Or was this project pushed I do. by the rehab? I, I wouldn't say it was exclusively pushed by the rehang, but I think that that really got a lot of people thinking about how MoMA was presenting its collection because it was a new presentation of it. But the collection rotates all the time. And so, um, you know, back to your question, Lisa, it's a very different hang of the collection than it was in 2004 with a lot more women artists. So it is related. Um, it was a fascinating exercise to be involved in to figure out how to tell the history of art through those collection galleries. And I think that the discussion around that now would be quite different, both in terms of women, but also in terms of representing artists of color. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of work on that in the last, you know, that's eight years now. So I think it would look quite different. You told me you're gonna hang little starry nights like in, in models. Oh yeah, yeah. The way curators work is for, um, for their models of the galleries, like little dollhouses. And they're little tiny miniature versions of all the artworks called chips. So something that curators do, not just at MoMA, but at any museum, is you like play around with these little tiny miniature versions of the artwork in these little dollhouses of the galleries to figure out how the installation's gonna go. So that's fun. <laughs> uh-huh. Could you bring back one of the um, slides that you were showing? The one that had a collection of fabric art. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a really beautiful book. Thank you. Yeah, so um, 
There are two versions of this. This is by an artist named Louise, Louise Bourgeois who died um, two years ago this spring at the age of 99. And she had just this extraordinary career from the 40s to she was making art until 2010, basically, basically until the time she died. And she had always worked with fabric. Um, her parents ran a tapestry workshop in Paris. And so she worked with fabric, with discarded clothing um, throughout her career, although she also made sculpture. I showed some sculpture and prints and drawings by her as well. She painted too. But this was a book um, that had two versions. This is the original, which was hand sewn, partly by Bourgeois, and by this point she was in her 90s, so she had assistance. And then she did an edition of the book, so there were about 30 copies of it made, um, also by hand, but not by her hand. It was done in a print workshop. So this is the original, and there's only one of those, and MoMA has it. And then this was one of the, I think, 30 copies of it that were made. So these were printed, not actually sewn. These are like applique sewing, like patches sewn onto the fabric pages. Um, but these were printed and, um, and sewn as well. I, I don't have the exact right terminology, but these were cut by hand and sewn by hand. These were printed and then sewn. Um, so in the original, all the pieces of fabric were old clothes and you know, kind of household linens of bourgeois, of bourgeois, and a lot of them came from her wedding trousseau. So like 60 years before, when or 70 when she had gotten married. So all of these have this very personal history to her. It was making this book. Um, it's called Ode à or Ode to Forgetting. Um, that kind of recount her personal history and the things she, that she went through in her life. And it's all abstract, but you know there were pieces of tea towels that she had used, you know, when her sons were young, or dresses that she had had, or you know, these very personal things. Sometimes you could see stains on the fabric. So this was a great way of, of talking about our ideas behind the show, that even though the work was all abstract, it had this very personal history, and a history that was very particular to, you know, a woman during this period who had a trousseau, which you don't really hear about anymore, and who had a family, and who was balancing, you know, being a parent and being an artist. Um, so it's a really, really beautiful book. Thank, Thank you. you. Sure. Any more questions from students? Come on. <laughs> I, well, I'd, I'd like to ask, I mean, I don't want to, want other people to ask questions, but let me just ask, you mentioned that there was a, um, there was a, some people thought in this day and age we shouldn't have this. Were there other um, criticisms of it from our critics, or was everyone universally enthusiastic? Was, was there um, conservative backlash in the art world for? No, the main criticism was we should be beyond this by now. Like, we shouldn't have to ghettoize women artists. Um, that was kind of the main thing. I, I don't think anyone could really say, like, it's terrible to have all these artists, you know, having attention paid to them. Um, but the main criticism was, you know, shouldn't we be, be beyond this? The other thing that I didn't talk so much about is the, that wasn't so much a criticism, but sort of a complicated question is, what's the difference between feminist art and art by women artists? Mm -hmm. And the idea of feminist art is kind of complicated because, you know, can art have a point of view such as a feminist point of view? Is feminist art something that's made by an artist who identifies as feminist? Is feminist art, you know, art that deals with gender and sexuality? It's very hard to define. 
And then women artists is a different thing because some of these artists were working before feminism was really a term. So how can you call an artist working in 1860 when there was a bit of a women's rights movement but feminism wasn't really a societal thing? Can you call them a feminist artist and how do you talk about it? So our decision to call it women artists was very calculated and debated because we were calling attention to women regardless of whether they regarded their work as feminist or whether they were talked about as feminist or whether they lived during you know the feminist era um, so that was something that got discussed some yeah okay. all right well thank you thanks so much uh, everyone it's great to be here this podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.